Welcome back, Statesman viewers. We're back with another episode of the Statesman Sports Spotlight. I'm your host, Mike Anderson, and helping me out today is perhaps the best interviewee from Stony Brook Athletics that one could ask for. I could talk to this guy for hours, and I very well just may, who knows. It's Gino Ford, the head coach of the men's basketball team here. What's going on, my man, Gino? Uh, Mike, man, I appreciate you having me on, buddy. This is awesome. I always appreciate the time you give me. So likewise, it's always it's always mutual. Now, I've seen you at a couple of softball games recently. I had no idea that you had an affinity for that sport. <laughs> well, I, I really like baseball, softball. You know, I'm friends with Megan. Uh, obviously, I have a lot of respect and I'm friends with Coach Sink, the job he's done. I mean, both of them uh, have won a lot. They're good people. The, the kids that play on those teams uh, are, are really good you know, representatives of of the department and the university and uh, softball, you know, it, it, the games are are pretty quick. It's funny, you know, Major League Baseball obviously comes out with the pitch clock to try to speed things up. College right. baseball, you don't have some of that stuff. You know, you can you can go to the softball game. And I mean, it's you know, an hour and a half and, and the game's over. And um, those kids really work hard. You know, I see them a lot because the batting cages, uh, being on the end of Pritchard, I'm always cutting through there. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you what, those, those, those softball kids get in there and they work at it. That's for darn sure. And I have a lot of respect for for what they do. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we've got a very and I know that they're they're both kind of going through it right now, but we've got very good uh, softball and baseball here. And like you said, Coach Sank and Coach Brian are very good people to talk to. They're very they're they're great coaches. You could go all the way back to the start of their Stony Brook careers here. They've done a lot of good for this program. Um, as have you, you've had you've had a good run here. I know you had a, a rough year this year, but you've earned your respect, especially from the media. This past season ended about a month ago. Uh, just what have you been up to since then? Well, yeah, it was a tough season. You know, obviously it was uh, there was a common theme. It was injuries. And, uh, you know, every coach, you always hear coaches say, hey, next man up. Uh, and they do and they need to be. But very rarely are you in a situation where it's, hey, uh, sixth next man up. And that's where we were because we had five of our 13 guys. I mean, average for us, we had eight guys in uniform on mm-hmm. average for, for a game. Yeah. And if you look, it's really odd, Mike, but our front court stayed relatively healthy which is awesome Rocco only missed two games with a knee Leon was was in and out Fitz was available every game those guys basically only play one position so when you have eight guys dressed but you know three of them primarily play the same position it's not like you have an eight-man rotation over there so we were playing some funky lineups it was a hard year Uh, I really appreciated the guys I mean I, I thought they worked really hard I, I did. I mean, it was one of the more enjoyable groups, and and, and it's going to sound ridiculous because I absolutely hate losing, but it was one of the more enjoyable years in coaching I've had. We had really good chemistry. Our guys really liked each other. Uh, they were easy to coach. They were good teammates. And team team travel, team meals, uh, walkthroughs, practices, were, well, they were just a lot of fun. It was a really fun group to be around. Unfortunately, Saturday night at 7, we didn't win enough. You know, and that was that made it kind of miserable. And so we tried to get rid of this injury thing. Luckily, most of the players are healthy. But unfortunately uh, for me, and I'm a little selfish, so I look out for myself like most of us. I've never I, I didn't miss a practice in high school or a game, didn't miss a practice or a game in college. And all of a sudden, uh, the other day in practice a week ago, I was turn, had my head turned to the left and uh, there was a collision in the lane. And I didn't see it. I was following the the ball that was going to the corner. I got drilled 
uh, low in the leg by uh, Rocco, you know, just accidentally. He was flying out of bounds. Uh, now, there are probably some some fans that that, that will enjoy this, uh, hopefully not too many. Uh, but I ended up with a fractured ankle, a fractured knee, and a fractured tibia from the collision. And I can assure you, uh, it's it doesn't feel <laughs> great. But, uh, but I'm getting better. Uh, I, I like the fact that we've stopped hurting players. I've encouraged the team to try to injure assistant coaches, not me. So we're just trying to pivot our focus on injuries. That's all. Okay, that's good. So the injury bug is still with the team, but it's no longer with the roster. Yeah, now now it's with the short, fat guy on the sideline, not with the players. So I think we'll be all right. Are you in crutches? You just in a walking boot? Did they did they give you one crutch to hold on the on the one side? What are we What are we doing? Well, I felt like I got hit by a Mack truck, and in some ways I did because Rocco's three hundred pounds. That's a big right. man flying through there, and yeah, uh, I, I was down on the ground for about I'll say ten seconds. I tried to stand up. And, and honestly, my leg just buckled. Like I couldn't put weight on it right away. So I sat in the bleachers for about eh, 20, 30 seconds, kind of composed myself. And then I walked to the training room because uh, in, in full disclosure, I was seeing spots and I felt like I was nauseous because I heard it. I heard two pops in my, I heard my ankle pop. I heard my knee pop on the way to the ground. And so, you know, a little of that I'm sure is shock and a little of that was pain tolerance and stuff. And I just decided that if I wasn't going to feel well, I was not going to feel well in the training room. I wasn't going to uh, lay around. I hate when players go down and they just stay there for two minutes and then they hop up and go back to playing. I don't know why that <laughs> bothers me, but it does. So I walked uh, with three fractures myself to the training room and then they, you know, sent me for x-rays and we found out about the fractures. But I mean, luckily, like I said, it was no ligament damage. So, uh, you know, by eh, four to eight week range, I'll be a hundred percent. And, you know, right now I'm, I'm nowhere close to that. I'm in a walking boot for at least another week or two. And then, uh, then we'll be good. It would help if I was in in shape. A little extra weight uh, coming off would probably be a good thing. Less <laughs> less force on on brittle bones. So for everyone that, that was frustrated with a loss, uh, you know they can look at it like I got what I deserved right after the season. So we'll, we're all good. <laughs> okay, that's the silver lining, I guess. Rocco <laughs> must feel terrible though. So oh yeah, I mean listen, it was <laughs> it was a complete accident. And and if I didn't have my head turned, I would have seen him coming. 25 years of coaching, I've never been, been run into one time. I mean, I don't stand on the court. I'm five to seven feet off of it, you know, and yeah. so I have plenty of space and time to get out of the way, but I definitely was in the wrong place at the wrong time. That was not good. So I wish I'd have been standing just a little farther back and maybe it would just would have tripped me. It was just, uh, it was a weird, weird situation. So I'll be on better alert and I got to work on my quickness. Obviously, I've lost a step. Well, you know, it's almost better that you acted as his, uh, as his pillow because all seven foot three, <laughs> 200. 170 pounds of him hitting the floor. I, someone was getting hurt. So, you know, some some bone was getting broken that day. So the other great part is he literally my shoes were tied. He hit me so hard. I came out of my right shoe when I laid oh. on the ground. I only had one shoe. It's like getting hit by a car, man. I'm telling you, he, he was he was he's working hard. He's really getting better. I've been excited. He's had a good spring and continues to, to develop. And uh, he's he's going to be a good player. I mean, last year's the first time in five years that guy made it through a season healthy. So he hasn't been developing. He's been fighting injuries for five years and this year you know he got through that now he can have an off season which he didn't get to have last year because he was still rehabbing a knee i got i got big hopes for rocco and i just uh you know love him and think he's going to be really good okay good good yeah now we were we were really high on rocco coming in so i'm glad to i'm glad to hear that he's on the upward trajectory now speaking of you know upward trajectory and you know the roster and all that we know that this past month you had a lot of uh big roster decisions to make right there are a lot of older guys who had 
had some extra eligibility uh, to return, namely Aaron Clark and Dean Knoll with injury red shirts and Keenan Fitzmorris, who essentially has an entire career to make up. Um, <laughs> so do you want to maybe just confirm some of the bigger pieces that will be returning for next year? Yeah, sure. Ha- happy to. I'm thrilled. Uh, the, the program's thrilled. And honestly, the department's thrilled because the guys that are coming back, you know, we, we don't have a player on our roster with below a 3-0. And that doesn't mean you're a bad person or bad student if you do have below a 3-0, but all of our guys are 3.0 students or better. And uh, they go to class, they do their schoolwork. They, we don't have guys getting in trouble. I mean, knock on wood, we have had zero off the court incidents and you can grab, uh, you know, media uh, news story every hour about a men's college basketball player getting in trouble somewhere. Uh, so really proud of the guys for how they conduct themselves. But, you know, Aaron Clark and Dean Knoll were going to be enormous pieces to what we were doing a year ago. Both those guys are back. Both of them are, are healthy. Aaron's 100%. They got his situation resolved. Dean, his knee is 100%. He's probably, you know, 80 to 85%. I mean, he's only been back for a month um, when, when you, after sitting out six months. Yeah. So, you know, he needs to get his timing and stuff, but, but he's, he's a heck of a player and the fans are going to love both those uh, guards. Yes, uh, Tyler coming back is enormous. You know, he, he was, he was our captain a year ago. He was the the voice in the huddles. He was the guy that everybody rallied around. And I think all of our fans that have been coming to games for years know how much better he's gotten during his time here. He's a, he's a relentless worker. Uh, so, you know, all, all three of those guys returning is is really big. I'm excited Toby is coming back. Uh, Toby had a really good freshman year. You know, he was put in a really, really unfair situation. I mean, he's, he came in 155 pounds. Uh, we intended on redshirting him. You know, he would have redshirted. And right. then all of a sudden, uh, by the first game, he has to play 30 minutes. Right. And all by the way, he's, he's the most capable scorer as a guard we have. So the other team's putting their best defender on him because they're more worried about him than they are the other guards that are out there. He had a really tough assignment and he had some some really, really good moments for a freshman. I mean, he was yeah. up and down. He was up and down. But man, when he was up, he was really good and uh, just needs to get stronger. He had a tendonitis deal going in his knee where he was having to get you know, some, some injections and some treatments and stuff uh, that just to be able to play. And he never complained about it. I mean, there were days he limped around, could hardly move, uh, and he would just get himself going. So he's a tough kid and a good player, got a bright future. Rocco coming back. Uh, we talked about him a little bit, but I, I think his best basketball is ahead of him. He just needs to continue to adjust to the speed of the game. He's got hands. He's got size. Uh, his his mobility is improving. Uh, Leon Nahar, who another guy that we were going to redshirt, uh, he came in 194 pounds at 6'10", kind of hidden silver lining to his injury last year with the broken foot. He was able to continue to do off-season weight training, and he's able to eat and retain calories and stuff. So he he's right now rolling around above 215, so he's gained over 20 pounds in nine okay. months. And, uh, you know, we'd like to have him up around 230, 235. When, when everyone in our locker room is 25 years old, <laughs> there's a very good, high likelihood that Leon Nahar uh, will be the best player. Okay. Uh, he just needs his body to fill out. Um, he, you know, with his size, his ability to shoot and pass. I mean, his dad was a 17-year pro in Europe. Fitz coming back. 
another huge piece of what we're doing and how the program is functioning. You know, for seven foot tall, as you said, it's hilarious, but he does kind of have a career to make up for him. He had two right. years lost to injury, mm-hmm. had a COVID year. So, uh, right. you know, to have a seven foot guy that can go get you like he did in a couple games, 20 plus points, there were games he was unguardable and there were games where he struggled, which, you know, when he was basically a freshman, he scored more points by Thanksgiving last year than he had scored in four years in, in California. Yeah. Yeah. I think two <laughs> weeks in, he, you know, he'd already exceeded his, his career total. So, yeah, it's, I mean, I remember you asking me that and I, I, I hadn't thought of it, but it, you hear stuff like that. You realize why guys get better. You know, he is not right. some grizzled veteran who's played all these games. He, no. he has not played. No. Um, and he's so, always had it in him, right? He was the 13th best uh, high school center in the nation during his grad year. So it's not like this came out of nowhere. Of course. It just, you know, I think untimely injuries mm-hmm. and it can happen to guys you can get stuck behind somebody. You're hurt. They're playing well. You're you're now healthy. You ain't playing because mm-hmm. he took your spot. Yeah. So you know that's just how it goes. But mm-hmm. uh, but he he's he's well. Uh, Jared Fry is progressing well. Yeah. He was going to be a big piece for us last year. I'm going to tell you if we would have just had one right. If if just Dean or Aaron were hurt, not both. Mm-hmm. I promise you, Jared Fry averages double figures. Yeah. Now, if they're both there, you know, I don't know if he'd average double figures as a freshman because there's a lot of adjusting, but we were limited offensively. He he would have been our best perimeter scoring option a yep. year ago because that's what he was all September. And, you know, unfortunately, only played in the, the one game, but uh, but but he's doing well, and we expect a 100% full recovery by summer workouts. Sabri Phillip is progressing nicely with the Achilles. He's back doing some workouts. Uh, he's not full go. He's not con, you know, none of that stuff. Uh, but we expect him, you know, make, make a complete full recovery and, and to be back out there. So, you know, I, I mean, I think I, I got you everybody there that that's back, but, yeah. um, but we have, you know, 10 guys back or nine guys back. Sorry. And, that's great, um, man. That's, yeah, it, that's a 180 from last year. Oh yeah. It couldn't be, couldn't be a bigger 180. And I, you know, listen, we'll miss Frankie. Frankie's a good player. You know, Kane did a great job uh, filling in for us and uh, gave us a lot of effort and, and Tanaj gave us great effort filling in and, you know, both those guys want to play and so you know i think they made the best decisions with the information they had based on who's coming back and you know and those kind of things and rooting for for all three of those guys uh you know none of them leaving on bad terms but you are right right. it is it is much different last year's spring workouts i think we had three or four guys floating around so now we're at least able to to work out and play live and 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 look like a basketball team in the offseason well that's good now here let's elaborate on frankie uh just a little bit more because you know you're losing a little more than just a good player in frankie right i mean there was uh, there was a time when I think we kind of looked at Frankie as just a, a catch and shoot three guy, right? He was your yep. three point specialist. Uh, he he could always pass, right? He could always move the ball, but really outside of his three point game, I don't know if we saw him as as much more, right? Because he had guys around him. He had Jaleel Jenkins, Juan Felix, you know Elijah Alani. Listen, that's all he was in high school too. Right, he, he played at Lehigh. They stood him in the corner. He, he didn't do anything. He stood right. there and fired a three. Exactly. Yeah, he had that pretty lefty stroke and all that. And yeah. this year, you know, everybody goes down, right? Aaron, Dean, Sabri, Jared Fry. And that was just before we could catch our breath. He had to really improve his whole game, right? And all of a sudden he becomes an interior scorer. All of a sudden he becomes an elite rebounder. The defense he played this year, it was a complete 180 from the defense he had played in the past. He was one of the facilitators of the offense. And like you said, he was a team co-captain with Tyler. I think he was here for four years, right? So you're losing a lot when you lose Frankie.
Kentucky. So, sure. so what does losing a guy like him do for both the team on the court and off the court? Yeah, you know, it, it's an excellent uh, synopsis, and it's it's a really fair question. I and 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 I think your point on the end of that will miss Frankie off the court in many many ways. Frankie is a connector. Frankie is a guy that everybody likes. I don't care if you grew up in in the Midwest in your Rocco. He loved Frankie. I don't care if you grew up, uh, you know, in uh, Queens and you're Tyler. He loved Frankie. I don't care if you grew up in Jersey like Aaron Clark. He loves Frankie. So, you know, Frankie's just a guy. He got along with everybody. It made no difference who you were. Fitz Morris from Kansas City. I mean, like as far out as anybody, you know, we have Sabri from Canada. Frankie gets along with the world. He's an awesome human being. He's a great guy. That will be a big loss because you're talking about a guy who was a, who was a good player, but that everybody liked. And oftentimes, and in seasons past, and I'm obviously not going to throw people under the bus, but not every good player is beloved in the locker room. A lot of times, yeah. the guys that are the good players are good players because they have an arrogance and a uh, <laughs> alpha dog mentality to them, and and they're just can be a little bristly. I don't I don't know the right word, but I think you know what I'm saying. You know what I mean? You've been around yeah. sports enough like that. You get around some people and they just rub you a little bit the wrong way. They're likable, but you don't know if you really like them. And Frankie is 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 just a great kid. Now, prior to the year, I knew Frankie was leaving. He's been here four years. He's finishing up uh, a second degree from yeah. Stony Brook. So we we recruited all year as if he was leaving okay. now. Look, would would we take him back? Would we have taken him back? A hundred percent for sure. Yeah. But he his his thing all along was, hey, I, I love it here. It's great. I love Stony Brook. I want to I want to as I grow older be able to come to you know homecoming and alumni day. Like he's he he looks at Stony Brook as his home. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's been here four years, and you get a couple degrees. I think that you know he's. Um, he just was at a point where where and, and in all honesty, uh, Mike, his whole focus was turning pro. Right. That is a hundred percent what he's talked about at this point, because of you know just the way the portal works and NIL and some of those things. If there's an opportunity for him professionally that financially makes sense, that's what he's going to do, uh, and that's always what he's wanted to do. So, how could you ever wish a guy poorly? As I told him in his end of the year meeting, as much as I love him to come back, and he can change his mind at any moment, and you know we'd love to have him. The reality is uh, when you're heart is set on leaving and you have one foot out the door, it's hard to envision yourself doing a U-turn and coming back, you know? Right. And so, and that's why we've, we've functioned as we have. And I, I told Frankie, I said, listen, man, this has been as big a win-win as anything I've been a part of. His individual improvement was so noticeable. He was a standstill shooter. Now he can score in the low post. Now he can score in isolation a little bit. This year, if you looked at his games uh, on Thursday nights, when we had normal prep time, his stats were phenomenal. Yeah. On one day rest, when we played on Saturdays, he had a really hard time statistically. And that was because he was being forced to play 33, 34 minutes on Thursday night 
maybe more, you know, that's not a minute total that forwards play. So he, he was in, you know, he had a lot on his plate. He had a lot on his plate, did a great job, uh, have nothing but good things to say about him. Hope he does really well. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're excited about recruiting. Unfortunately, it, we're not past the signing period. So I can't speak to commitments right now or guys that are close to committing. Uh, but we are really excited about the guys we're recruiting and and thrilled about the guys we have back. And I, I think offensively, you know, you're going to see, I mean, look, D- Dean and Aaron, Tyler, Fitz, we have four guys coming back that average double figures in Division One basketball the last season they played. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I mean, listen, we'll miss Frankie shooting uh, for sure. Um, we'll miss the off-the-court stuff that I think I spoke enough on. Uh, you know, we'll miss the rebounding. that that, But – you know, we we we're excited about the guys we're bringing in, and and to return four double figure scores for us at our level uh, is not something you can do very often. Yeah, no, well said. And look, like I touched on earlier at the open, uh, this year was a rough one, right? I, I believe it was the losingest season that the program has had in fifteen years. Um, And we know what the biggest culprit was. Obviously, it was the injury bug. As for the guys who survived the injury bug (laughs) and uh, and actually made it to the court this year, what didn't you guys do well enough this year that may have led to the bad record? I mean, I know the the offense really is um... Uh, the offense was offensive. I mean, it was (laughs) impossible. We could score the year prior. We led the league in pace of play. Right. This year. We were 13th when we had 13 teams. If, if there would have been 14, we'd have been 14. We were like 357 in the country of 363 in pace. We mm-hmm. banned fast breaking. If you go back and watch, and we would have won, I'll say two, three more games if we would have done it sooner mm-hmm. uh, because we didn't have the personnel to play fast. And right. if you go look at our first 10 games, this is what happened. The season started. We thought we were getting Aaron Clark back. Right. Okay. So now Aaron, we didn't change anything offensively from what we've done uh, historically and what we had done in the preseason. Right. So now Aaron all of a sudden is going to play around Thanksgiving. So he misses the first whatever, three games, something. Then he's going to play. So now he plays. He has a great game against Yale. He cannot physically function, can't move. I give the kid so much credit for even attempting to play. I mean, he had no business trying to play. And and if you ask him, he'd tell you, I tried to talk him out of it because I was watching how he was moving. But he he just, competitor, loves basketball, wanted the team to do well, wanted to have a great year. So he he plays against Yale, he plays great. The next two games against Sacred Heart and Bryant, he could hardly walk. I, I didn't even play him at Bryant. I, I benched him. And he's a, he's the best, most accomplished offensive player in the in the huddle. And we just took him out because he couldn't move. He shuts it down. And at that time, they told us he was coming back at Christmas. So now it's Thanksgiving, and we decide, well, if we change everything for the next three weeks, then we're going to try to change it back again when Aaron comes back. It did not make sense to us. Mm-hmm. We just tried to stick with what we're doing and try to get better at it and hope that guys would get better. And then at Christmas, it was evident that Jared Fry, and Jared Fry is another one, by the way, that was we were told would be back at Christmas. initially. Okay. So we have two guys that we think are double-figure scorers at the guard spot. Right. And now we've we find out basically, you know, I probably knew by December 20th that that was never happening and today we're done for the year. Now we're playing West Virginia. So we play West Virginia. And then when we came back into conference, that's when we we banned fast breaking. I mean, if you went and watched the game, the, the, the conference opener that we played against Northeastern, we won the game. We played great. There were only like 50, I was think it was 55 or 57 possessions in the game total. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, national average is 72. Right. So, I mean, we're, we're 15 possessions slower. So we, we, we had to do that to give ourselves a chance to win. Our non-league record would have been better if we would have banned the fast breaking. We still would have not been a good basketball team. I, you know, Tyler really emerged. Frankie really emerged. Fitz emerged. Uh, I felt like we had three really good offensive options. Rocco and Leon both had, in my opinion, very good freshman years. I mean, find me a fresh, a true freshman five-man that impacts winning at a mid-major. You don't. Now, or if you do, you find one out of 100. So those guys did and held the fort down as best as you're going to hope. We just couldn't generate enough offense in the backcourt. And, um, you know, and, and sometimes it was shooting that stunk. Look look at Tyler's shooting stats. Tyler shot 42% as a yeah. sophomore. He shot in the 20s this year because of the difficulty of shots he was forced to take. We could never get him open because the other team just said, hey, just face guard him. And we couldn't break the defense down. We could not get in the lane and get the defense in rotation. Exactly. No uh, dribble we, drive. We could, no, no, we could post isolate. So yeah. honestly, it was offensive. We were not an excellent defensive team. We were a, 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 an adequate to average defensive team. Offensively is why we struggled. Uh, we we just we couldn't get easy baskets. And um, the reality is we were slow. So what what we were forced to do, you know, we didn't have a backup three man. Mm-hmm. So for the for the three games that Tyler missed in the middle of the conference year, when we would practice, we didn't have a two, three. Like there wasn't another three man on the depth chart. That's why Tyler It's not the only reason Tyler deserves to be out there. Tyler's a hell of a player, yeah. but he played, you know, he was leading the country in minutes played prior to his injury. So <laughs> now he's out and we're sliding Frankie to the three. Frankie is not a three man. Frankie's no. a four man. Right. We're playing Keenan Sarvin at the four with Frankie at the three and a seven foot five man. I mean, I'd venture to say that we couldn't have beaten anybody in the world in a race uh, down back. So um, we, you know, when you're not fast, you can't pressure and force turnovers. So we were just trying to play protect the paint defense and, you know, we had some success with it, but it steals, you know, or anything. And so there were a lot of things that our team wasn't able to do. And I'll be honest with you, all of that said, not to be lost in the shuffle. We went from a league that is a low major league that is ranked consistently 26th through 29th in the country to a league that the year prior to us joining it, was 13th. We jumped in competition unbelievably. And there were four schools that made the same jump we did, right? Yeah. Or three mm-hmm. others beyond us. We had the best year of the four. We finished uh, higher than than two. The team that finished higher than us, we beat two out of three right. including in the tournament. Beat them mm-hmm. by double figures twice in yeah. game. Right, and barely lost to them too. So, Well, yeah, and when we barely lost to them, like, you know, how about the schedule that the league gave us? We played Thursday night against Drexel at home, right, mm-hmm. on national TV. The game ends on Friday morning. We have to fly out of LaGuardia to Greensboro, North Carolina, and play Saturday at 2 p.m. with eight guys in uniform. And we lost by two at the buzzer because we missed two free throws. Mm-hmm. Uh, we blew a lead. I mean, we were up five with four minutes to go with the last mm-hmm. meet and right. lost at the buzzer. So, I mean, we were the best of the four new schools. So, listen, our, our goal is obviously we have to have high standards. We have to have high goals. We got to compete for a championship. But nobody has left the America East, and several teams have done this, 
by the way. No one's left the American East and went into the CAA and dominated. I mean, it, it took Hofstra 20-some years yeah. to win a championship. Yeah, Northeastern uh, still hasn't really figured it out. Well, and you have Drexel, who went to the tournament uh, a couple years ago, was like their first tournament in 15 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this league, this is a different animal. And no no offense to, to anybody, but when, when you recruit a team to play in the America East, and then you find out in January that we're going to play in the CAA. I mean, it's literally the the same equivalent of, you know, you you go tell uh, Charleston, who won our league and was terrific. I mean, just terrific. Top 25 team. Go tell them uh, that they're going to play in the Big 12 this year. Go tell them right now. Right. And you know what's going to happen? They, they they may do better than we did in, in making the jump, but they're not going to compete for a championship in the Big 12. No. Not right away. It just there's a process to it. And uh, so we're all like this. Coaches are like this because, gosh, we got to win now, and I want it now, and I want it now more than the players and fans, and the fans want it bad and deserve it, and the alumni want it bad and deserve it, and the players want it bad and got to, you know, we're trying to deserve it and earn it with our work. But it's not a light switch, man. You can't go. Our team last year, in spite of our record if you did put us in the america east we're one of the three best teams you know so there's a lot of factors that go into the record last year i mean listen our offense was anemic but if tyler was third team all league in the caa He's first team in the America East. You you watched the America East for at least the last four years. How many centers did you see you thought were better than Fitz? You know, not a ton. Some, not a ton. Frankie, uh, that all of a sudden your front court, we'd have had the best three, four, five in the America East. Oh yeah. I'm glad we're where we're at. It's given it's gonna give us the best chance for national exposure. It, it got us on national TV two times last year. We never got that. Right. In the Marquis. The contracts talk about helping recruiting. When you can tell recruit, hey, our game's on CBS. Oh, no, no, no. It's a Thursday night. Kids are, oh, geez. Like that gives you a level of credibility with coaches and recruits that, hey, our league has one national TV game every season. We hope we get picked. That's that's what we came from. You know, the 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 CBS deal, there's a game on every week. And and we caught two of them. So anyway, you know, I I well, actually caught three. Uh, but we played so bad at Charleston, I don't count it. So uh, the other two, we, we, so we, had really, we really put us on three times. But, I mean, that's like five to ten years worth of national television exposure for our program in, in one season. So, I mean, I'm thrilled we're in the CAA, uh, but this was never going to be a, hey, we're here, watch us, uh, you know, finish in the top two like we kind of always did in the in the, in the the America East, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and no disrespect to any of those teams. But I think that when you, I mean, you've been sitting in that arena. You yeah, saw the size of the athletes. Right. I mean, go 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 watch the last four teams. I mean, the top four teams in our league: Towson, Hofstra, UNC uh, Wilmington, and- Wilmington, Charleston. Right? Yeah. Those four were on a different planet. And I'll tell you this: it is as limited as we were, we were not far from fifth last year. We beat Drexel, who was fifth. We beat NCA and T two out of three, that was sixth. Where we were far away was the top four. Like we didn't beat any of them. Uh, no, but you lost- played Hofstra competitively here. We did. And and that's and that's the only one. I mean, we lost a thousand by ten at home. We lost we played Wilmington tough on the road down there. It was a good game. We played really well. Probably one of our better games to be honest. But we lost by, you know, six or seven. We lost to Wilmington at home by eleven. Uh Charleston, they're still adding the points from the game at Charleston. I don't know that anyone was able to do the math on how bad they beat us down there. It was uh it was a number that that's bad mathematicians uh, far and wide. And the conference tournament, we were down, eh, whatever it was, 12, 11, you know, in the mid-second half with Charleston. Uh, and, and, and honestly, 
they're they were just way better than us. We we could have played them a hundred times. I, I, I it would have been a hundred losses. I mean, there was no Probably. scenario which we were going to beat them. But you know, five and down, we were competitive. We had a winning record, five and down. You know, or 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 right there, and right. Uh, we're nowhere close to where we need to be. Uh, this year, but boy, I, I do think we can be in a year. I mean, I like the group we have coming back. We're old, we're veteran, and that's what it's going to take. I mean, if you start looking, Dean, Aaron, Fitz, you're talking about 23-year-old men, Tyler, 22, instead of playing 17 and 18-year-olds uh, against those teams. So, you know, we'll be much, much different and much better than we were. Yeah, for sure. No, we, we definitely believe that you mentioned it however long ago now, but, uh, but, uh, the, the defense, you said that you played adequate defense and I would have to agree. That's probably the right assessment for it. Adequate. Um, but if you look at the numbers, it actually, it, it might even be better than adequate, right? You guys had the, uh, the fourth best shot defense in the CAA, which is something it's probably yeah. a testament to your size, middle of the pack and scoring defense. It was six out of 13, you know, would you attribute that to your improved size or, uh, or was it something else? And are you no. guys going to be able to replicate that next year? Yeah, listen, you're you're right on it, and I, I think the reason I say it was adequate and I didn't give it a better uh, assessment is because we couldn't force turnovers. So in any game yeah. where where we if we got down five or six points, normally you know middle of the second half and you're at home and the crowd's getting in it and you need to stop. A lot of times you like to extend pressure and try to get in some passing lanes, try to really crawl into the ball handler. We weren't able to do much of that. That was a real limitation defensively. Why were our numbers good? It was because of our length. Mm -hmm. And when we made the jump to this league, there were two things that we put an enormous emphasis on uh, that we said, man, and, and, and realize now this is an emphasis that we started in January of a year ago. So you're talking 14 months or February, whenever the announcement was that we were officially going to CAA. I mean, to be fair, I probably knew a couple of weeks ahead of time that it was highly likely. I mean, they didn't leak it to me, but I mean, you could see the writing on the wall. So now it's January, late January, early February. And we're, we know we're going to a new league. And so we said, okay, we need to like really dive in because the only team we were familiar with was Hofstra. Right. And um, you had beaten and we started year. like digging in on the league and trying to figure out what it was. And honestly, we put a huge emphasis on size. So yeah. in the spring, we got fits. We wanted mm -hmm. to have a seven-foot center. We thought it was important to have size at the basket. So we, we signed him in the spring. Uh, and then we wanted offensive guys. We wanted guys that could create offense. And so we went and we were able to get Aaron and Dean, two guys that had just been all conference, one of them in the Ivy League, which right. is just as good as the CAA in every yeah. metric and in many of them better. Uh, we added Aaron, uh, who who kicked our butts uh, when we played him. I mean, he's had 20 some points. We couldn't guard him. But we added Aaron, who we thought could be a real catalyst for us and was an all conference player in the NEC, you know. Uh, the exciting thing about Aaron is, you know, Aaron had a game with 10 assists and no turnovers. Go look at his assist turnover ratio for the year. It was excellent. Yeah. But if you can have 10 assists, zero turnovers in a game, you're a heck of a passer. I don't care who you're playing. And he averaged, you know, 15-ish points a game. So we we tried in the spring to solve those. And then in late June, you know, our leading returning scorer on paper was Taiki. Right. And Taiki came in in June and told us he had a chance to transfer to Kansas State. Mm -hmm. While recruiting was over, 
So yeah. we got really lucky. I mean, we we were familiar with Jared Fry, and then Jared Fry came in, and the fans are going to love Jared Fry because right because all the fans love big guards that can really make shots. And I'll tell you this: Jared Fry will shoot next year, whatever game it is. We open at home. He's going to shoot a three, and everyone's going to watch, and they're going to see it come out of his hand. And when they watch the ball flight and watch his follow through and his release, they're going to go, "Oh, he made it." They're, you're going to think he makes every shot he shoots, and he won't make them all. But he he's the best. And this is not up for debate. I think Frankie Policelli is an excellent shooter. Jared Fry was the best shooter in the program last year, and it wasn't up for debate. So you know, I think that I think that the that'll that'll add a real element for us. So so that's kind of you know to add. Can we continue it? I think so because we we'll have bigger guards. Last year we were really small, and we just we didn't have size at the guards. But I mean, we had you know we Tanaj at times was stuck guarding the other team's three man. You know, he did a he, he and Tanaj is tough and strong and fast, but you know he's he's six foot tall. He's you know, and when you're when you're six foot tall and you're tough and you're fast, and the guy you're guarding is six foot five, you know it, it can be a tough match. Matchup. And Kane, uh, you know, had, had had some speed, uh, but certainly wasn't a, a big guard. And uh, Toby uh, was the least physical because of his fr- fresh being an freshman. So that'll be much different. We now have big, physical, strong guards. I mean, Aaron Clark's 190 pounds. He's a, he's solid, man. And right. uh, Dean Knoll is strong and he's physical. And yeah. uh, Tyler obviously brings physicality. So I think we'll be I think we'll be significantly better on defense because we're going to be bigger and stronger on the perimeter, and that'll that'll really help make a difference for sure. And I'm glad that you uh, that you keep like segueing perfectly into the next question. So. <laughs> exactly right yeah well because i fed you the questions beforehand like, wait. no i'm kidding um, <laughs> no but but in all seriousness you know none of the stony brook fans are going to know this about dean uh, they probably don't even know what jersey number he was supposed to wear this year dean was the point just for for clarification dean dean is not a two guard dean is a point guard i'm sure he's got enough versatility to play the two but dean is also a point guard just like tyler was and dean was the starting point guard on the 17th highest scoring offense in the nation the last time he was playing and a big reason why he went all conference in the ivy is because of his defense you could go on basketball reference and check the defensive rating he's outstanding he's a very good defensive player along with being a good passer good scorer smart player obviously you know you're gonna get defense back and offense back with the guys who are coming back right tyler aaron dean Keenan, absolutely Absolutely. Uh, Sabri Phillip, athletic wing, Jared Fry, big guard. Given the guys you're returning, what are you going to have next year? Are you going to have an offensive team or a defensive team? Well, you know, it's a good question, but to win in our league, we've got to be we've got to be good on offense. If if you really dig into the numbers and you look at the teams that were good, right? Charleston, they played really fast and they were great on offense. Uh UNC Wilmington, they were more of a defensive team. Towson was a what now Towson does both, but Towson could really score because they Timberlake. I mean, that kid's gonna go to like Kansas. Like you don't get those off options if you're not a, a super player. And Hofstra was 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 very good offensively. So you, you to be with those four teams, right? We have to be good at both. And and that, that's kind of a non-answer answer, but we can't be good on offense, bad on defense, and be a top you know, division team in this league. We can't be good on defense, bad on offense, and be an upper division team in this league. Right. We have to be good at both. Now, we will be way better on offense than we were. I think we can be elite offensively, assuming that we can add the right one more piece to the puzzle here, and we're close on some guys that we really, really like. Uh, And like I said, I wish I could get into – 
commitments and and recruiting. Uh, unfortunately, that 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 I can't do. But what I would tell I you is, it. if you look at our team on paper, we have guards that can make plays. I mean, D- Dean Knoll is is a terrific player, and he and Aaron function really well together because they both are able to score, but also make plays for other guys. Right. Those two guys being on the court are going to make Tyler better mm-hmm. because Tyler now doesn't have to every time to go get a basket, go one on two because he's got one on one <laughs> plus guys sitting in help. Yeah. He's going to actually get to stand and shoot some open jumpers, something he mm-hmm. hasn't done in over a year. Fitz is going to get drop off dunks and he's going to get some screen roll dunks. Two things that Fitz has not gotten a lot of in his time. (laughs) So, you know, like I I just, we're going to be, we're going to be better. I mean, Jared Fry shooting Sabri uh, has got a chance to really carve out a big niche for him because of his athleticism and his versatility. I think Rocco's size at the bat. I just, we've got a lot, you know, Leon, Toby. I mean, there's a lot of guys that can make plays for themselves and others. And we've got size that can catch and finish. Uh, we just we didn't get easy baskets, and so I'm just going to kind of keep coming back to Dean, AC, and and Toby. Uh, you know his improvement and involvement. We should now be able to get some catch shoot threes and some drop off dunks and some roll dunks and some transition baskets. That's going to make us better on offense, and that's why I think you'll see the biggest jump on offense. But we can't we can't be a team that you know is trying to just outscore people because uh, you know the teams in this league it's just impossible with the with the really really good ones. I mean, you know, Charleston lost a lot, right? But they're bringing back the center who, if he's not the best player in the league, he he's sure as heck in the discussion. And they signed uh, some some great. Uh, players. So, you know, they're going to be low, a load again, just different, different faces and names. Um, and Wilmington's uh, got, got the white kid back, the four man who was a, a first team all league guy that was just a, a bear to try to defend, you know, Ta- Towson's got Thompson, the big kid back, who's terrific. They had some losses. Uh, Hofstra had some, had a big loss with Estrada, but you know, they'll get Thomas back and they'll get uh Dubar back. So that's two all league players. You know, so listen, I mean, there's a lot of turnover in our league. That's what's going to happen every year in every league. I'm I'm excited that we've, you know, got the guys we've got and, and we just got to keep adding to it. And we'll we will do that. And I think you'll see a exciting team that can put the ball in the basket that'll play hard and be fun to watch because we got good chemistry. You know, we're playing three on three in the spring and the ball's zipping around and guys are being unselfish and passing. And we we had terrible assist numbers last year, but I'm telling you, awful. I could pass awful. Awful, embarrassing. But I'm going to tell you, it, it, it had nothing to do with guys not liking each other. It was just we couldn't make plays. We couldn't break the defense down. And th- this team this team will zip the ball around. We'll get some really good looks. And I think you'll see a much crisper, cleaner offense. So I, you know, I'm going to go to that as being the big change. Yeah, no, for sure. And you set the next one up well, too. So speaking of guys, you know, liking each other or not liking each other, speaking of, uh, of you know, the, the roster turnover and all that, in years past, you've been, you know, just decimated by the transfer portal, right? I mean, if I were yeah. to sit here and list the laundry list of guys who have left you, but, you know, this year, it's been different. Right. The only ones I mean, the only ones leaving, obviously, Frankie's a big loss. And, and you know, we like Tanaj and Kane. You've got essentially the whole roster. You named 10 guys who are returning. Last year, yeah. you lost nine guys. Right. Yeah. So yeah, kind of a 180. Right. Right. Now, exactly. some, of those, some of those we would have lost. We, had, we were really. Yeah. Some of them were out of eligibility. But, but point taken. Actually. Yeah. Right. You know, anyway, the point I'm trying to make is, is uh, that reflects positively on you and the locker room. Right. Because for a while we were like, oh, God, why does everybody leave at the end of 
the year? Like, do they not like Gino? Do they not like the? Well, they they may they, listen. I have no idea. They may not. But but here here's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Our guys have a good experience here. Coach Green with the strength and conditioning program is is so excellent and elite at his job. Uh, even guys we've had that have left uh, will later constantly make comments about how the strength and conditioning program here was better than where they went. And, you know, uh, the vast majority of guys we've lost, Mike, we've lost to power five schools. So what I would say is we have had an unbelievable, and this isn't something that you necessarily want to be great at, I guess, because in some ways you could argue it hasn't worked out and in other ways I'd argue it has, you know, our player development has been high level. You don't realize we we've taken all these guys that we lost to high majors, okay? And I, and I, I'm not going to go through all of them. I, Mo Gee, for example, yeah. Mo, Mo Gee came to Stony Brook. His two choices were Stony Brook and Wagner, okay? And he grew up across the street from Wagner. He could walk to Wagner's campus from where he lived from Staten Island. Right. That's the only two schools in America that recruited him. Okay. After two years here of skill development, player development, strength and conditioning, all of a sudden he's able to go play in the ACC and be a starter. Elijah, unbelievable uh, player at Stony Brook. What will go down is the, his junior season here is one of the probably other than what Jameel Warney did. I mean, I you know I didn't see Ella Mean and and Tommy Brenton, but it's in that breath. It's one of the top three, two or four seasons that a guy ever had his junior year here. Mm-hmm. He got an opportunity to go play in the ACC. Mikhail Foreman came here, had zero recruitment. Mm-hmm. Ended up going and playing at Cal in the in the Pac-12. So to the point of the guys not like each other or the guys not like the coaches or the guys not like Stony Brook. I, I would tell you that when it, that would be a valid question and a valid argument, if we were losing guys lateral, we're, we weren't losing guys to, from Stony Brook to a Northeast conference school. We weren't losing guys from Stony Brook, you know, to to a Mac school. We were losing guys got a chance to go play in the Power Five. You know, sometimes that those opportunities for kids are hard to pass up, especially when they've you know come here and they graduate and they get another year. I mean, you know, I, like I say, I I don't I never took offense to it. We did a lot of soul searching on are we doing something wrong? And look, could we do things better? Absolutely. Do I need to be better at my job? Absolutely. Do our assistants need to be better? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's something you strive for every day. I never took it as a, a negative uh, from a image standpoint. It's not like we were losing guys and they were going to Marist. No offense to Marist, but you know you understand what I'm saying. I'm just looking for an example. I, I, I know, know what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, if uh, it's it's uh, and in, in in some cases, you know, everybody right, everybody in our locker room, they had one dream when they started playing. That was to play in the NBA. If they play here, they still believe and chase the dream that one day they're going to get there. And, um, you know, 99.9% of the time, that's not happening. You know that, and I know that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're an athlete who's coming off a season where you're all conference in the place you are, I think sometimes we've had some guys that felt like, well, I don't think there's anything else I could really accomplish here. I've done everything I can do here. You know, that permeates because the team's winning. I'm individually doing well. What's my next challenge? I mean, I, I, you know, Drew Garcia was still – one of my favorite guys I've ever coached or ever been around. 
Mm-hmm. He's one of the most likable, good guys ever. I, I I couldn't have a better relationship with Drew Garcia. And he chose to leave to go play in the SEC. So, right. you know, look, what you do I wish he stayed? Of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. I wish all of them stayed, especially the really good players. And he was a good player. So, you know, but I decided to get off sidetrack here a little bit. But you know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. I think when you look at it, there's a big difference between, hey, we're losing guys and they're, they're heading to uh, Central Connecticut State or they're heading to Hartford in our league at that time. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's not where guys were going, man. They were they were going to the highest level there is to play on national TV twice a week and thought that they could could compete. And and in many cases, they 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 did compete. I mean, yeah. you know, quasi Yeboah went to Rutgers, right. had, had an excellent year. Absolutely. You know, so there have been guys go and, and do well. Um, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt you. It kill it's really hard for the program because mm-hmm. you know it's hard to replace an all-conference player right. uh anytime. But onward and upward, Mike, you gotta you gotta love the guys that love you, right? And uh sure. and I, I think that 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 right now, you know, we're really lucky. Our guys that we got great chemistry. We got guys that want to be here. They're excited about what we're doing and feel like they can help us make a difference and still reach their individual, you know, goals and dreams along the way. And that's that's fun. Yes, no, absolutely. And I agree that the assistants do have to do a better job. They have to take more hits for you. <laughs> anyway, so so now let's transition. Let's uh let's get selfish a little bit, coach. Why don't we? All right. Um, you know, like I alluded to before we uh started recording, you were uh quite the scorer in your heyday, right? Uh, in fact, as a high school basketball player growing up in the state of Ohio, you scored more points in your career than LeBron James, who may very well have been the best ever high school basketball player. So how often during your day-to-day conversations do you try to crowbar that fact in? Uh, absolutely zero times. Oh. I assure you that when I go, when I, when I stop in uh, yesterday, shameless plug, I stopped in at Coliseo, my favorite oh. pizza joint. So I, I stopped in and grabbed a couple slices of pizza and, um, uh, I can assure you they charged me full price. There was no discount because I scored a lot in high school, but I, I shot it every time I had it. I had a lot of teammates that stood wide open in the corner, probably wishing I would have thrown them the ball. I, I had a really fun high school uh, experience. Now, I will say uh, my dad was the coach, and that was not part of the great experience. Uh, he was he was uh, constantly on, on you, and that was what it was. But the community uh, that I grew up in, a uh, small town, Cambridge, Ohio, 12,000 people at the time. It w- it's, it's just a basketball crazy town. Everybody came to the games. You're going to think I'm lying. The gym seated probably 1,500. We sold out. I- I'm going to tell you, it wasn't every game I played in, but it was darn near every game I played in for four years. They would scout tickets to our high school games in front of <laughs> so and they, and that went on before I was playing you know so it wasn't like they were doing it cuz I was there that's the community everybody wanted to be at the game um and and when we if you lost it would not be out of character for you to be walking downtown to the to one of the you know we had a diner downtown uh, uh awesome place Coney Island was the name of it uh they they've they've since renamed it uh the I don't know even know what they call it because I refuse uh, Theos which is the family that owns it but I've refused to change the name to me it's always Coney Island so you know you go down to Coney Island you think you're gonna grab a couple of Coney's and a slice of pie and I mean people in town would be like hey what happened last night guy oh, you guys were awful 
<laughs> you know, it's like it was you, you were embarrassed. You didn't go out. Like we lost. I I locked myself in the in the house for a couple of days. I didn't want to show my face because people would just be on your head. And yeah. um they wanted to win, man. They wanted to win. And so I grew up in, in that environment. And then uh, I think a few, you know, it's been 30 years since I graduated. Um, and I think just a couple more years, I should be over uh, uh, my dad's coaching. I shouldn't be through it. Uh, should have worked through most of it. <laughs> it was, it was inter- hey, it was never not entertaining, man. It was never not entertaining. But uh, sure. but he was he was he was mad all day every day at practice. And right. uh, I don't know how. I don't, it's hard. I, I can't get like that. I don't have that personality. But you know, he he was he was uh, he was the Bobby Knight type of you know mentality. But the players really liked them. I don't know that I did much, but I think all the other guys really liked playing for him. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure that was, I'm sure that was difficult. I'm sure you had a lot of quiet car rides home or a lot of loud car rides home. I don't know. I, 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 I luckily I was within a few blocks from home, from the school. So oftentimes I just walked, walked. away. Yeah. With my, I, I, I didn't care. Cold snow. I didn't care, man. I'm just going to walk I'd take 10 minutes by myself. That seems like a better option. That's so funny, man. Jeez. All right. And you know, the reason why I had to ask how, how often you talk about that is because last year, like end of year, uh, Stony Brook athletics gave out awards and they had this, uh, this funny video at the presentation where all the players impersonated their coaches and, you know, sure enough, towards the end, Frankie's face shows up on the screen and, and he's like, hey, you know, back in my day, uh, more points than LeBron James. Just saying. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a great that, impression, but that is hilarious. I I never that is really, really, really funny. Frankie is uh, whatever. I mean, I think Frankie's 23 years old, but, you know, when you hang out with him, he, he acted like a coach. So him busting my chops is fair game. I uh, that's really funny. I had no idea uh, yeah. of that. I never saw it. That That's 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 hilarious. But Frank Frankie loves to loves to bust chops. That's like and that's why everybody likes, you know, gets on you. And for somehow he can make fun of you and you still like the guy. So good for him. That's that's funny. He is. He's. I'm gonna miss him for sure. He was. He oh, was yeah. actually our first ever podcast guest. It was a different podcast at the time, but yeah, he uh, he helped me. He's uh, he, he's he's a great guy. Yeah. Now back to your basketball career. You would be considered small for a men's basketball player. I don't know exactly how tall you are, but I've seen you listed at five seven, five nine. Neither are particularly tall in men's basketball. So yeah. how were you able to become such a premier scorer? I mean, were your jumper and handles just that good? No, not really. Um, I, you know, <laughs> listen, when I when I got to college, so growing up in high school and um, I, all I did was play basketball. I mean, I didn't do anything else. I had no other interests. I love baseball, but I didn't play. I played, li- you know, Little League and stuff, but I didn't right. play when I, as I got older. Yeah. And I knew for a fact that m- my family had no money to send me to college. I mean, my dad made that very clear from my freshman year. Like you, we are not, I am not paying for college. So you better, you're going to get a scholarship. You're going to go in the military, going to whatever. Um, so I made it a big goal to try to get a scholarship in basketball. And, and I just, you know, I was lucky. I had access to a gym. Um, my uncle was an assistant college coach at, at a division three school that was like 10 miles down the road, even as little as when I was 13 and 14, I was doing off-season workouts and open gyms with a Division three team that at Muskegon College that at the time made the NCAA tournament uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years. So it was an excellent Division three team, um, and and so I was able to play against older guys. And um, you know, I think that 
that helped. And, uh, and I, listen, I wasn't a, a bad shooter. I mean, I shot 39% from three, uh, my last year, uh, in college and I shot 40 something as a freshman, you know? So I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a lights out. I certainly wasn't Steph Curry. I actually, you know, you won't believe this, but I actually posted up some and I used to back guys down. Yeah. Remember the era I played in Charles Barkley used to get the ball at the three point line. He backed guys down. Well, I did that a lot. I'd get the ball at the top of the key and just back a guy down to the lane and shoot a fadeaway jumper. And luckily mm -hmm. made enough of them that the coach left me in the game long enough and played on some really good teams. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were ranked 12th in the country. Uh, I mean, we beat UConn uh, when when they had Ray Allen and that crew. We beat uh, Virginia. We beat Ohio State. You know, so we we were we were good. You know, we got like I said, we were ranked as high as twelfth. Uh, I think it was my sophomore year. We played in the NCAA tournament my freshman year, yep. um, and uh, my my senior year. So uh, first team all league. This this will sum sum it up, right? We lost the championship game my senior year. First team all league was Antonio Daniels that played in the NBA for whatever, 12 years, mostly right. with Spurs, a little mm -hmm. bit with uh, Grizzlies. Uh, Bonzi Wells played in the NBA forever. Wally Zerbiak. Yep. Uh, who we all know, of course. Who we all know was a, was an unbelievable player at Miami of Ohio. Mm -hmm. uh, Earl Boykins, uh, a guard from Eastern Michigan, little yep. guy, like five, four. He was the only guy who was taller than in the world. Um, him and Coach Green, our strength coach, the only two guys I could definitely be taller <laughs> against. But uh, Earl played in the NBA for 10 plus years. Uh, and I was the fifth guy. So I was like the the cutoff guy, man. You know, like we we had a good team. We I played against great players in college. I mean, there, there were five lottery picks in the mid-american conference right. during my college career mm -hmm. and for a mid-major league you don't see that you no. know so listen I, I don't know i don't know that any of that is good or bad but um but I, that's that's kind of kind of where it was and i i i certainly enjoyed playing i was competitive and scrappy and I don't know that I was fun to play against. I probably wasn't any fun to play with either, but uh, but I, I but I like to play, Mike. I like to play. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I, I saw Wikipedia had you uh, mentioned as a, a three-point marksman. Now, having said that, Wikipedia can be edited by anybody. So I don't know, maybe you said that. Maybe you went <laughs> on your own page. and Mike, I didn't even know I had a Wikipedia. I'll oh, yeah, man. Every, all D1 coaches. <laughs> uh, well, somebody's way too bored. I can assure you that I, I didn't type it. If there was something good written on there, it wasn't written by any of my family members. Uh, that's a fact. It was probably uh, probably uh, some poor guy with nothing to do with his time who met me at a gas station and I said hello to and he decided to be nice. Because uh, if it was from one of my relatives, they talked about a defensive liability, uh, limited going left, you know, would have been <laughs> That's funny. Hey, well, you know, maybe the boosters like you, who knows? Uh, but at, anyway, so, you know, during that, that answer, we actually glossed over the fact that the team you played for was the Ohio Bobcats, right? Division one, even back then uh, played in the uh, in the MAC, like you said. So just playing, you know, for a division one program in your own home state, what was that like, you know, just as the hometown kid getting to play for Ohio? Yeah, this is going to sound like I'm making this up, but but I'm not. So um, my dad, like I said, high school coach, Cambridge High School. Uh, I think it was 1980. Oh, gosh, 83, 84. I was like nine or 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, we played uh, the high school team played uh, uh, Lancaster High School and they played them at the Convocation Center 
in Athens. And I'm, I'm, you know, a young kid. I go to the game with my mom and we drove and it was like an hour and a half drive. And at the time when you came off the exit, it's a little different now because they built a big press box for the football stadium. And, um, you know, he, I, I walk or we drive around the corner mm-hmm. and I see the uh, the convocation center. Mike, I'd never seen anything that big in my life. It seated 13,000 people. It, it's a beautiful facility. I literally at that time was just shocked because, you know, I'm a small town kid. Heck, a big gym to me seats 1,500 people and it's got wooden bleachers. Right. So <laughs> then uh, we walk in for the game and they have this enormous, impressive, uh, you know, entrance. And we walk in and at the time they had pictures of um, all the people in the Ohio University uh, Hall of Fame. And it just so happened that the picture that I'm staring right at is of Mike Schmidt. And wow. Mike Schmidt, of course, great baseball player, player yep. for the Phillies. Right, third baseman. Yeah, I know Mike Schmidt. Really? And I, I, well, I not personally. I just mean oh. I know who he is, oh. right? Like I'm a little kid, but I'm <laughs> okay. looking up and I'm thinking Mike Schmidt. And I swear to you, I swear to you, I, I was like, this is where I'm going to play. And that mm-hmm. was just in my mind. I'm playing here. This is where I'm going to be. Right. And, um, and so it was kind of weird because then when I got recruited and I had some schools recruit me, I had Niagara, I had Kent State, uh, I visited Ohio State, I visited Cincinnati. At the time, Cincinnati was the number one team in the country. Their point guard was Nick Van Exel. I went to a practice yeah. when I visited. They walked me around campus, showed me everything. I went to practice, watched Nick Van Exel for about two possessions and thought to myself, I will never, ever, ever get in the game here. Why, why am I here? Like <laughs> Nick Van Exel was unbelievable. So mm-hmm. uh, that was never happening. And then uh, Ohio State, to be honest, I grew up disliking Ohio State at the highest level. I rooted against them uh, in everything they did. Uh, to truth be told, I still root against them every Saturday. I love when the football team gets beat. No reason yeah. for it. Just root against them. So all that to be said, right, I, I then I go on a visit to Ohio University, and the the coach offered me, and I couldn't say yes fast enough. And and I, it was where I wanted to be from the time I was a little kid, and I um, had a great experience and was really blessed and fortunate. Yeah, no, absolutely. Nick Van Exel, what a name, man. And he's like what you know for for NBA junkies. He's like one of those uh, obscure one-time All Stars, like Devin Harris or something like that. No, um, no question, no <laughs> question, man. He was he was a high high level dude, man. High yeah, level dude. Yeah, absolutely. Now you know you just said that you had never seen anything like uh like like Ohio's uh, campus and the uh, and the arena and all that. Now you get to Ohio, right? And a couple years in, you guys earn a berth to the NIT. Yep. Right. Which means you got to play at the Garden, correct? We did. We won the NIT, the preseason NIT championship in the Garden. We had beaten Virginia and Ohio State. And then George Washington, who Mike Jarvis was coaching at the time, Mm -hmm. in the semifinals of the Garden. And then the championship game at the Garden was actually uh, against New Mexico State, and Neil McCarthy was uh, the coach. Uh, New Mexico State was was terrific. They played one three one zone uh, the entire game, which as a point guard, right? And and I played point guard my freshman and most of my sophomore year, and then they I moved to the two partway through my sophomore year, and then played mm-hmm. the two exclusively as a junior and senior. But as, when you're a point guard and you play this one three one zone, it's the most boring game in the world because all you're going to do is dribble across half court, get trapped, and throw it to the other 
another guard or down to the forward, and you hardly ever see it again because, right. you know, just the way the defense is designed. So, uh, but we did win the championship. It was it was a ton of fun, man. We stayed at the Marriott Marquis. We were, it was Thanksgiving weekend. We were there for the Macy's Day Parade. You know, it was it was a great experience. There's nothing like uh, playing basketball at the Garden, you know, when you, when you grow up as a kid. That certainly was an experience. Yeah, man, they call that place the mecca of basketball. It it, it, it certainly is, especially uh, especially in this area. I mean, I I uh, we we've actually tried at times to get a game scheduled in there. It just has not worked out. Hopefully, one of these years we had we actually had a game scheduled to play in there, but it was the year that COVID happened and everything got shut down. So oh, that sucks. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I'd love to get our guides over there because it's it's it definitely is a fun place to go. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now, while you were playing at Ohio, you met Jeff Bowles, who, you know, he may very well be the greatest men's basketball coach in Stony Brook history. Right. I mean, you could argue, <laughs> right. Right. You could be like, yeah, Steve Michael, Jeff Bowles. But, you know, of course, he's back there now coaching them. Right. So describe your relationship with Jeff to me. Well, I mean, it's the simplest way I could tell you, right? I, I was in his wedding. My youngest son, uh, his name's David Jeffrey. So mm -hmm. I don't know how much more I need to say, right? Like, I, right. I love Jeff. Jeff Jeff is uh, an awesome human being, really good basketball coach. Uh, felt like I, I, I learned a lot during my time with Jeff. You know, prior to coming and being an assistant with Jeff, most of my career I've been a head coach. I'd only ever been an assistant for two guys. One of them was my college coach. The other one was Jim Christian, who's the all-time winningest coach in Mid-American Conference history. So I hopefully I learned a little from those two. But <laughs> Jeff has a very different way of doing it. Um, you know, he kind of divided the staff up, offense and defense, which was something I had not been a part of. Uh, usually it was just the assistants. They had roles, but nobody was like, you know, kind of offensive coordinator type of thing or defensive coordinator. You right. know, I wasn't really how, how we did it and changed how the scouting was done and mm -hmm. I just think his relationships with 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 players and 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 fans was was excellent. He's got a big personality. He's uh, he's a super guy. I, I root for him a ton, obviously, but um, I think the world of Jeff. I have a ton of respect for him, not only as a coach but just as a person. Awesome. Now we'll fast forward to your coaching career. So you got your first head coaching gig at Shawnee State, right? Which is an NAIA school, not even in yep. the NCAA, and yep. you killed it there. 22 and 10, 13 and 5 in conference play. What was that like? And how big of a difference was it from the NCAA? Honestly, NAIA is very similar to NCAA Division II. Uh, you have scholarships. The only difference is they don't have near as many rules. So you you tend to get some guys academically that are maybe a little more challenged. You can get them in school and be eligible for NAI right. than you can NCAA Division II. But we had scholarships. I had really good players, um, you know, at a place where if you want to know how different it is. So I was 26 years old when I got the job. My starting power forward was 27. Mm. That's a fact. He is a guy who was a non-traditional student and taking time out of school. And uh, so, yeah, it was different. I mean, you know, but we, we had a good year and it was, you learn a lot uh, your first year as a head coach. I mean, you really learn a lot because what, what you find is when you're an assistant, and it's probably like this in every profession, but certainly is in coaching. When you're an assistant, you have a ton of suggestions and you're convinced that every suggestion is going to work. And then when you're the <laughs> right. head coach, you realize that you got to make a decision and the decision may not work. And if it doesn't, it's going to be on you. And uh, when you're an assistant, you tell the head coach that he ought to sub, you know, somebody in the game and they sub in, the guy misses a shot. No one in the stands thinks, 
that that was a bad substitution that the assistant made. They blame the head coach. So, you know, you just kind of get a free pass as an assistant. So I, it was a, it was a definitely a great learning experience for me. And I, I enjoyed my time there. And at the end of the year, I had a chance to go to Kent state as an assistant who had just gone to the elite eight and the program was really on the uptick and um, you know, with a kind of a hot young coach that I, I thought I could learn from. So I only stayed at Shawnee state a year, uh, but it, it was a great job and a great place to be. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, right after that, you got your first NCAA gig. Now, help me pronounce it. Is it Muskingum or Muskingum? Muskingum. Yeah, Muskingum. Muskingum. So Muskingum College at the time, which has since rebranded to Muskingum University, um, NCAA Division Three school. Uh, you had a decent run there, too. So was that experience any different from Shawnee State? It was It was light years different. I, okay. I, I tell anybody this in coaching all the time. The least fair playing field in the world is NCAA Division Three. It's all based on financial need and right. aid, and and every administrator would look you in the face, and say, "Oh, it's Division Three. You know, we don't cheat. We don't um, we don't repackage kids. We we don't give grants based on athletic ability." Every single school that's any good has a president and a financial aid director that wants to win. If the school wins, it's president's financial aid. It's division three. I, I I mean, I watched it. I lost kids in recruiting. I, you know, that, that had already gotten a financial aid package. They found out we were going to be cheaper and uh, schools would repackage them all completely illegal. Uh, it didn't matter. And so <laughs> there's just no oversight at that level. And no, it, you know, so basically it's, it can be really hard to win. You know, uh, I, I Muskingum college is one of the all time great places. Some of the finest people in the United States work at that place and live in new Concord, Ohio. Uh, it's, it's a place that athletics has struggled in football and basketball. Historically, the location is a little challenging. I mean, you're the closest McDonald's is 15 minute car ride. So there's not a lot, you know, like of action socially, and that's hard to sell recruits on. But the biggest challenge is uh, there are, are simply with with financial aid and admissions. And, and historically, um, there are some other schools in that league that there's one in particular that used to just absolutely be awful. They were the they were one of the doormats of Division three for for decades, yeah. and then they got a new president who decided he wanted to win, and they started getting aggressive with scholarships, and now they got kids paying you know near zero dollars to play Division three. Well, yeah, you're going to win. I mean, that's yeah. what happened. So you know, and and and, and listen. I, I love Muskingum. I have a fondness there. I grew up at Muskingum. My dad played there. My uncle played there. Uh, my uncle was an assistant there. I was the head coach there. My dad was the head coach there. Uh, um, I, I love that place. It is it is one of the gems uh, in America. It, it can be a hard basketball job at times, but it's 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 just a super place with super people. Awesome, man. That That's so cool to hear. And two years later, you land your first D1 gig at Kent State, right? You'd mentioned Kent State earlier that they were uh, recruiting you when you were a kid. Yep. So you had a great run there. Three years, three winning seasons, back-to-back regular season championships. Just describe your time there to me. Well, Kent was was great, and I was familiar with the players because I'd, I'd been an assistant there for four years, and then I transitioned into the head coaching role. And uh, you know, we won two championships in three years. It was the first time in in uh, almost fifty seasons that somebody had repeated as the as the overall conference champion. Uh, so I, you know, we we did a lot of winning. We had good teams, um, and uh, it's a place that you know is committed to winning in basketball. It's a place that's found ways to win kind of having to do more with less 
Uh, it's not a place that has had a huge financial investment in, in terms of for the level of winning that that place has done and did before me and with me and after me, uh, you know, you kind of got a money ball it to a degree, like, you know, the Oakland A's deal. So, you know, there've been a lot of great players go through there and, and um, you know, the coach that's still there, Rob Senderoff's a close friend of mine. He was my assistant when I left and he stayed and he's been there for, you know, whatever, 11 or 12 years as the head coach. So I watch a lot of their games and root for him. Obviously hired Randall Holt as an assistant from there, hired Jalen Avery as an assistant from there. So program I I, I I'm, I'm, I was very connected with and still am okay awesome so after that you left for uh Bradley University and coached them for four years fortunes were nowhere near the same there so no. when exactly did you leave Kent State for Bradley well it honestly it was resource driven mm-hmm. to be quite honest I'd be lying if I said otherwise uh we all I also you know the administration had changed at Kent it wasn't the same group that I signed up with and right. you know when you have when you sign up with a group of administrators that you're very much on the same page with you know going to to new people can be hard for them yeah. and for you and uh Bradley uh, is a is a place that has had has done some incredibly big winning. Now, when I went in there, they had just finished dead last in the league. Uh, the leading scorer in the league was on Bradley's team and had graduated. So, you know, we I was walking into a, a really difficult situation that needed a total rebuild. The first year we were awful. The second year we won 18 games, which was a huge accomplishment. Yep. Uh, the third year we finished. We had a our schedule was 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 significantly harder than it had been the year before, uh, and we weren't we weren't league wise we didn't do way different. I think we were like seven and eleven boat maybe that year as well in the league, uh, and then my my last year. I mean, we were we were snake bitten with injuries. It was unbelievable. We lost our three leading scorers uh, for stretches of time. Uh, but that said, when I was in that league, Wichita State was ranked number one in the country at, at one point during my time there and made a Final Four. Right. Northern Iowa went to two Sweet Sixteens. Mm-hmm. Creighton won. Uh, I don't. I thought they went to one Sweet Sixteen and won one game the other year, and they had Doug McDermott, who was the National Player of the Year. Right. Well, that was six games. So you were zero and six before the league ever started. So we went seven and eleven a couple of times. It's like, <laughs> hey, we're seven and five against the normal teams. We're not going to beat the number one team in the country. We're not beating a Sweet Sixteen team, and we're not beating a team with the National Player of the Year. You know, it, it was just a really, really, really hard league. And um, and and we had, you know, one of our players, Walt Lemon, ended up eventually making it in the NBA and started for the Chicago Bulls in like. I don't know, 10 to 15 games. Right. Uh, so it wasn't that we didn't have any players or uh, have have any level of success, but man, it was hard to grind out wins in that league. That was a different animal and, um, you know, and, and, and uh, but a great place. I mean, great school, big basketball following. I'll never forget. We, we played Illinois state in our last regular season game, my first year. And we won seven games uh, when the when you know we were on pro NCA probation. We're coming off being dead last in the world. All this stuff. It's the last game of the year. I actually went in my desk drawer, dug out my contract to make sure that I was contractually obligated to attend, and um, and I was. So I go to the game, Mike. We had uh, ten thousand plus at the game. 
Wow. So yeah. it's a place that really cares. So, I mean, there were a lot of reasons to go take the job. We didn't win enough to turn the program, you know, but, mm -hmm. uh, but I would say that, um, that, that I was thankful for my time there because it was, it was uh, a really, it was a basketball town and uh, you know, and it was a good, it was a good move. It didn't uh, pan out in terms of wins losses as much as I'd have liked, but uh, made some great friends and um, you know, had a lot of great people over there and certainly diehard supporters, man, diehard. Awesome. Now that was probably the first time as a head coach that you would experience adversity, just no considering question. your success at Shawnee and Muskangum um, and Kent State, obviously. So, I mean, what did you learn during that time while coaching the Braves and, and how important was that adversity to your development as a head coach? Well, I mean, it's it's a elite question to be quite honest. I hate complimenting you, but, but I think that huh, you learn a lot when you're not doing well. And um, you have to do a lot of soul searching. And I, it was a hard, hard year uh, for me personally. It was hard, I'm sure, uh, on the family because your team is struggling. People are angry that the team is struggling. And you've got a family living in a town with everybody, you know, you're, it's a college town kind of thing. You know, it's not where you, you can just kind of blend in with normal people and go to a restaurant you go out to eat. Everybody knows you're there and kind of thing. So it, it was a lot, there were a lot of things there that were difficult. Now the, the good thing was, um, you know, I had some great friends out there and, and people that cared about the program that were really loyal and great friends to me. Um, but, um, but it, yeah, I mean, I think you learn a lot. I think you, you kind of do a lot of self-evaluation and I'll be honest and you're probably not going to come up, but the year after that, right. I still had time on my contract and I took a year and I did television for ESPN. I, I, I worked primarily the American uh, conference yes. uh, doing games on ESPN three. And I'm going to tell you that I've always said that that year I did television, I felt like was my master's degree in coaching. Mm -hmm. I went to more practices. I saw more coaches, how they do it. I saw teams get their players taped for shoot around and do full-fledged practice. I saw teams that came out in, in sweatpants and didn't even get a heart rate up. So I saw everything. I saw teams do it so differently. And when you're when you're coaching, the only team I'm going to see this year and know what's going on is Stony Brook. Right. That's the only one, right? Mm -hmm. So getting a chance to all of a sudden go around and see 40, 50 different schools, practice, shoot-arounds, games, game prep. It was really fun and really educational, and I, I think it really helped me. But I, the year of Bradley helped, too, the, the struggles. But I think the year of the television was probably more beneficial from a actual trying to learn the game and learn people doing things differently because we can all fall into routines with we just do things how we do them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And again, this is getting scary because I think you actually are reading my mind now. That was the next question. It was going to be about your time as an analyst on ESPN3. Um, you're a good basketball coach, but you're so perfect for a TV role. I mean, like we you could we could hear it now. The audience can, you know, when they listen to this, they can hear what a good speaker you are, what a charismatic personality you are. I'm sure you were very fun to watch back then. Um, just how did you like that job as, you know, an on-air analyst? And is that something you would actually consider doing again after your basketball coaching career ends? 
Yeah, listen, nice of you to say. Again, I'm probably too kind, but um, but no, I listen, I, I really enjoyed it. And um, mm-hmm. I, it is something that I would like to do when I'm done coaching. Now, I'd like to, you know, coach another seven years or so, and that would put me 55-ish. And I think at that point, uh, you know, makes sense to start, you know, looking into some other opportunities. So I'm really focused on coaching now, but down the road, I mean, it was, it was fun. It was fun. It was fun to do. It was fun to deal with coaches. I think it was easy to ask questions and get good answers because I was a coach. And I think the coaches trusted that, you know, I'm not looking to embarrass them or make them look bad. You know, I, I'm, I'm just looking for information that can help the broadcast sound better and information that can help educate the fan base because perception is, you know, that, that saying, right, perception is reality. And so if you can't get the the narrative of what's going on inside a program correctly spoken to the right people, you know, people get ideas and they're not accurate and they're not fair sometimes. And I, I think that, you know, when you're in coaching and you're running a program, uh, it can be important. You need the you need the fan base ignited. You need fans to be pulling for the team. You need everybody on the same page. You know, I don't – you watch Florida Atlantic, and, yeah, it's awesome that they go to the Final Four. I mean, it's beyond awesome, right? And you watch Iona win a game in the NCAA tournament, and that's cool, and you see all these things. Well, I can assure you that the players – the coaches, the administration, and lastly, the fans are all rowing in the same direction. And there's an element of of luck at times, uh, you know, it, with um, oh, geez, you take like Fairleigh Dickinson. I mean, they didn't even they wouldn't even have got in if the rule wasn't different. So, and then they go on a run and they become the hot name in college basketball. And so, you know, look, man, I, I enjoy people. I, I love basketball, so if I, you know something to stay in touch with the game, I would certainly be excited about doing. I'm not looking to uh, play golf 365 days a year, maybe 300, <laughs> maybe 330. Okay, uh, but but yeah. not 365. No, definitely not. <laughs> so you know, after being a celebrity for a year, uh, you went back to actually working, right? Uh, Jeff yeah. Bowles yeah. gives you a call. <laughs> Brings you to Stony Brook as his assistant. Was it a difficult decision to leave the booth or, I mean, was it something that you were itching to do? So, yeah, you know, Jeff, Jeff and I had spoken and if it wasn't Jeff, I don't know that I would have hopped back in. I was enjoying what I was doing. I knew I wanted to get back into coaching. Jeff, it being Jeff made it really easy for me. Um, But I did tell him, I said, I've never been to Long Island. I had recruited when I was at Kent. Uh, Justin Green, who was a conference player of the year, played at Lincoln High School, you know, uh, uh, down in Brooklyn. But I'd never gone east of Brooklyn. Uh, I'd recruited in the city several times, like everybody in college coaching, but I had never come out this way. And I said, man, I said, I just need to see it. Like, you know, at the time I'm living in South Florida and I said, I want to, I just want to look around. And he's like, no, that's fine. He's like, come up, take a look around. He's like, you're not going to believe it. He's like, it's, it's one of the greatest places uh, to be. And I'm like, I got you. I got you. And, you know, listen, I did, you know, of course it's your friend. So you're going to believe him. But, you know, I wanted to put eyes on it. I got here totally shocked. It's been the most enjoyable place I've ever lived. I love Long Island. I, I love the amount of things, the variety of things that you can go do. The campus is beautiful. It's a big campus. Right. And on the East Coast, we know how most of them are scrunched together right. and buried into, you know, into the city or whatever community surrounding them. I mean, our campus is tree-lined. It, it, you bring a family here. You're, you're a mom. You're a dad. You feel very confident your kid, uh, you know, is going to be in a good, safe environment and in a great place. And then you just look at the uh, academic rankings and success. 
that the school has. I mean, when, when, when we sit with recruits, right. And I don't know that it always resonates with the players no. because you're 18 years old and 19 right. looking to go somewhere. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, it resonates with a parent and you sit them and you show them rankings and on the list, it's like, Oh yeah, here's all these Ivy league schools that I recognize. Wait a minute. Stony Brook's right here with these guys. You know, <laughs> It never ceases to shock. I mean, I think if there's one thing that the university has done a good job of, but needs to continue to push like for, and, 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 and as coaches, we try to as well is just educate people on how elite the academics at Stony Brook are. I mean, I think it's pretty well known regionally, but when we recruit nationally, I, you know, I don't know that the kids we're recruiting necessarily know uh, what they're getting into. And that, you know, and the, but the parents are always excited. So, you know, for me, it was really easy. It's like, look, I, I'm going to take a job back in coaching. I'm going to go coach with uh, one of my closest friends and somebody I really liked spending time with and in an area I was excited to move to. So it was, it ended up being a really easy decision, but I had a little apprehension at first. Uh, I don't know that I'm alone in that. I think probably a lot of people are shocked by what right. they hear when they see it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's a big decision. You know, it's it's only it's human nature that you would have some indecision there. Now, you know, you have a couple of successful years as uh, Jeff's right hand man. And obviously, this came at the expense of losing Jeff. But how happy are you to finally be back in this role as a division one coach? Well, I mean, listen, you know, you, you, you always uh, you always are excited for a head coaching job. They're hard to get. There aren't very many that exist. Right. Hard to get on him, hard to keep. You know, I was really fortunate that that Sean had confidence in 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 me and in what we were building. I, I and I think these are the behind the scenes things that that administrators, you know, have a handle on that sometimes not everybody does. I mean, you know, there's and I alluded to this earlier, right? But you, you're talking about a program that since you know J- Jeff did an unbelievable job setting the foundation, we've really tried to build on it and continue the path. Um, I you. You don't realize how few teams you'd have to go searching high and low to find with no one in the roster below a 3.0 GPA. Mm-hmm. You don't realize how far and wide you have to go looking to find a team where guys don't get in trouble off the court. I don't think you realize how far and wide you have to go looking for. And and, and listen, those seems like things, right? Like, oh, that should just happen. No, it doesn't. It doesn't go, go right. take a drive around, do some research. And, you know, people like you that follow sports, you know it and you get it. But sometimes the casual observer doesn't always understand uh, what goes on with a program. So there's a lot of parts to my job that are really important. And I'll tell you this, we've graduated every single guy that expired eligibility. That'll always be a priority. I have had and it hasn't happened very often because we haven't had to do it very often. But we have a guy uh, that's behind in schoolwork. We don't let him practice. And if you don't practice, you're obviously not playing. And that's happened way more than once. And, um, you know, those things don't go on everywhere. Uh, Listen, we have to win. We definitely have to win more than we won this year. Uh, I'm never going to sacrifice or trivialize uh, the value of doing the right thing and doing representing the university the right way. You know, and and if 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 when it comes down to it, right, there's a level of winning you have to achieve. Uh, and, and I think we're more than capable of doing things the right way and winning big. And, uh, we've done, we did that in the other league. We need to show that we can do that in this league. Yeah. Awesome. All right, coach. Then, I mean, you've outlasted me. I've only got one final question for you. All right. Fire away. So like I mentioned earlier, Wikipedia describes you as a three point marksman. Now we've also seen what Frankie can do, right? I mean, we've seen him knock down shots from the volleyball line, and Absolutely. we've heard from you, the the legend of Jared Fry. And obviously, you know, 
we can't wait to see what he could actually do from beyond the arc. But between the three of you in a three-point contest, who wins? Are you beating your players? Absolutely zero chance. And I would love to say that I would win. Now, I'll go on record as saying I've seen Frankie play defense and I've seen Fry play defense, and neither one of them could keep me out of the lane. So I'd just go get a layup. But if we're just going to have a shooting contest, I'm in big trouble against those guys. Those guys are those guys are high-level shooters, man. High-level shooters. I, I, that, was, that was a good one. It hurts me to admit that. I don't like to admit defeat too much. But uh, <laughs> please do not, whatever you do, make sure that you don't forward the link of the podcast to Frankie. I don't need his ego getting bigger. Uh, but, uh, but all good. Mike, I appreciate you man it was awesome i had a lot of fun i appreciate you too man you're the best see you buddy you have a good one coach